Welcome to Chat About. Chat About is sponsored by Bemidji Chrysler Center Honda of Bemidji, First National Bank Bemidji, Sanford Health, Beltrami Electric Cooperative, and Higgins Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration. On the show today, we hear from Ebony Warren, the Executive Director of Evergreen Youth and Family Services, and their Program Director, Caitlin Orgon. The topic, human trafficking. That's next on Chat About. We have Ebony Warren, the Executive Director of Evergreen Youth and Family Services with us today, along with their Program Director, Caitlin Oregon. Uh, or is it Oregon? Oregon? Oregon. Oregon. Okay, got it right. So let's do that again. We have Ebony Warren and Caitlin Oregon of uh, the Evergreen Youth and Family Services with us. Welcome to Chat About. Thanks for having us, Ken. It's great to have you here today. Um, we're here for a fairly serious reason. Um, we're not going to get into details today, but obviously a big story in this area regarding human trafficking. And uh, it's certainly been a topic that's been front and center this year with the um, um, movie that was out this summer that got a lot of people thinking about it and more aware of it. So um, you guys called and, and wanted to talk about it. And, and what, what was was it what's going on in the community? Is it what's going on in the world? What uh, prompted you to think now is the time we need to talk about this? Well, one being, you know, at Evergreen, I've been really thinking about how can we educate the community more on the services that we provide. So over the course of the year, we've been talking about different things in different parts of Evergreen. And of course, with the recent uh, developments in the community, I said, now is the time to talk about, you know, the things that we do to help uh, victims and um, survivors of human trafficking, specifically uh, sexual exploitation. Okay. And Caitlin, you're the program director there. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, before we get into the specifics of the show today, what, what does the program director do at Evergreen? Well, I wear many different hats as we're a small nonprofit, so I oversee several programs, one of them being for general crime victim services. One of them is for Safe Harbor, which is specifically for youth who have been sexually exploited or trafficked. I also see our mental health program and our independent living skills for current and former foster youth. So on a day-to-day basis, that might be looking at reports and data and making sure we're compliant with all the paperwork for all of our grants, and then helping our case managers meet with clients and getting them what they need. Regarding safe harbor and trafficking, how long has this been a focus of Evergreen? Do you guys know? Well, Safe Harbor legislation was passed initially in Minnesota in 2011, and then they created a budget for services in 2014, but we've been recipients of the Safe Harbor grant since 2018. And there's two different components of the program. One is to provide shelter and housing, and the other is for what we call supportive services, so literally anything else that that youth may need. Um, School supplies, clothing, transportation, getting enrolled in medical care, bringing them to all those different appointments, really anything. Okay. Um, Just a wide open question. How big a deal is this? How severe is this uh, worldwide? And then bringing the telescope closer to home. Well, worldwide, we know that right now, currently, there are more people enduring slavery than ever before. And that includes labor trafficking, sex trafficking, indentured servitude, all of those things. So worldwide, it's always been a problem. It's always been a big problem, but we haven't been good at collecting information about it. 
specifically in this area in Minnesota, um, in our region of the state, youth are self-reporting experiences of sexual exploitation more than any other region. We are, our youth are reporting twice the rate of youth down in the metro. So we know this from the Minnesota Student Survey that the state administers every three years. In 2019, for the first time, they asked a question to ninth and 11th graders about experiences with sexual exploitation. And across the state, it didn't seem like super significant numbers. About 5,000 high school attendees said that they've experienced sexual exploitation. But that is only capturing the kids who are enrolled in school and who are in school on those days. In 2022, they did the survey again, same with just the 9th and 11th graders regarding that question. And every other region in the state was the same rate, slightly lower, except for us. In north central Minnesota, the rate actually increased, particularly amongst ninth graders. Wow. You know, Ebony, I, I think it's... Uh... I get, it always hits us between the eyeballs when we hear that number. You know, we always think of or maybe hope that that is something that's going on over there. It's not. It's going on right here. No, it is going on right here and everywhere. I was just uh, looking at a report and it was just saying that human trafficking has been reported, you know, in every state, U.S. territories. I mean, everywhere. And so it's a huge problem. It's a growing problem. Um, more people have been prosecuted than ever before. But still, the people who are um, referred for cases, all of them aren't. Mm -hmm. And for varying reasons. So we still have tons of work to do. Um, we are seeing, you know, the, the fruit of helping our youth, our victims, every day, you know, and the work that we do. And I'm just glad to have someone like Caitlin and just our staff who are really just really focused in on what the youth need and not just, hey, we need to get you housed. Well, we need to get you housed, but we need to make sure that you feel safe. We have to look at your mental health. I mean, studies show that um, victims actually have mental health problems more than the average person physical problems, of course, the trauma, the layers and layers of trauma that come with being sexually exploited. If you think about it, we hear a story, right? And we think, oh my gosh, that is so horrible. You know, it's heart-wrenching, everything. But we are hearing a slice of the trauma that this person has experienced. We will never know the whole story. And so there are just multiple layers upon layers of work that has to be done to help to um, get them to a healthy place. And so that's something that we're fighting for every day at Evergreen. I don't even exactly know how to, how to phrase this, uh, but Caitlin, you know, um, whether it be, you know, sensationalistic um, theories or TV shows or whatever, there is this vision of, evil people from other countries who kidnap wonderful children and rich people pay for them. There is probably, I, I no doubt there is that. Mm -hmm. But I think if we understood how 
for lack of a better term, mundane and normal seeming this stuff is right under the surface in our known more neighborhoods, that's even more frightening. Yes, absolutely. And the movies that are really successful are successful because they're entertaining, right? Like it's something that you may be interested in, but you're removed from it to a certain degree. It is so much more difficult to digest and accept that this really is a day-to-day part of the culture in our area. And that never gets easy to accept. Okay. So, and if I recall, I had, you know, Kathy from uh, Support Within Reach here about a month and a half ago, and a lot of stuff we discussed was the fact that um, it's, you know, um, some of it is for survival. Some of it is because a family member needed money or needed a favor. I mean, it's, it's pretty gross. I, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's um, tragic, disgusting, all of those words that we don't like to even think about. Um, when you think about um, the people who are in poverty, like they are at high risk of being um, exploited and trafficked. You know, they are um, people who are just trying to live a normal life like everybody else, but they have needs and you have these traffickers who are um, preying on them, you know, and there are, there are some people who are more at risk than others. So you have uh, youth, for example, who are homeless or runaways. Um, you have, uh, you know, young people in poverty. You know, you think about the age ranges. You're having young people that are experiencing this more than you're not going to have, you know, a 50, 60-year-old you know, person who is just kind of experiencing this, right? And so it's really, really traumatic. And you think about people who are just trying to make it. They just want to pay their bills. They just want to take care of their children, just like each and every one of us. And then someone comes along. Just imagine, you know, you have, you know, a young person who comes along and says, hey, you know, I'm going to befriend you and we're you know we're gonna go hang out or hey there's this modeling opportunity you're so beautiful you can make money to help your family and all these different things and you're thinking oh gosh um this is my opportunity too good to be true but my opportunity and then you get into the space where it looks so legitimate it looks so real and then you find out that you're trapped mm-hmm. yeah Oof. and then what do you do and how do you get out and it's it's just a really traumatic um, experience with layers and layers of um, difficult things that we can't fix with the push of a button. We have to work as a community. Um, we've got to make sure that we are aware that we are looking out for our neighbors, if you will. Like my mom would say, you look you look out for your neighbors, kids, and you know all of that. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to make sure we are looking out for each other as a community. Well, I I think. Um you know, the, the tragic, the one that I think is the most tragic that I keep hearing stories that I hear is when it's the people you trust, the people that are supposed to take care of you that are using you as collateral or using you as money, so to speak. Um, how do you come back from that? I, I just have to ask myself how, 
desperate and terrible of a life you have to even consider trafficking someone, a young person in your own life. Because we hear about abuse in general all the time. But when someone is systematically harming someone else for their own financial benefit, that's just a different layer of processing and accepting. But there are good outcomes for youth who get out of those systems and get help. They are so resilient and they have hopes and dreams just like every other normal kid. Most of them want to go to college. Most of them want to own their own home. They want their own car. Normal things. There's so many options for them to get support and their life can be happy and healthy. Uh, we are talking with Ebony Warren and Caitlin Organ of uh Evergreen Youth and Family Services. We we talked about it some, but I'll just ask it straight out. Give me the misconceptions most of us have about trafficking, traffickers, and victims. I think the most, the biggest misconception is that this is a problem elsewhere. This is a problem only in metropolitan areas and big cities where there's a lot more people. And that's just not the case. Like I've said, we're seeing more youth reporting sexual exploitation than any other region in the state. Um, There's also a huge misconception about what a trafficker looks like. They are supposed to be this scary, bigger man that drives around town in a white van and is waiting for kids to be walking home after school. And more often than not, there's someone very close to the victim They're someone that that victim knows, they love, they trust, they're an important person in their life. And there's also a lot of misconception about victims that goes into victim blaming and a lot of questions about why would you put yourself in that situation. And I think that's the wrong question. The question we need to be asking is why is it okay to buy sex from minors in our community yeah (laughs) that is a good question uh yeah um yeah and and i and i agree i mean i've had multiple conversations with people like you and so i know this in my brain but i go about my day-to-day life and i forget about it i don't think about it i don't see it and then you get hit across the face with something again so, you know, one of the one of the topics you said you want to talk about was signs. Okay, so are there things we can see? Are there things we should be trained to notice that we're not noticing? Sure. And some of those signs are so confusing because it's just kids being kids. Avoiding eye contact. I, I mean, name one teenager that doesn't avoid eye contact. That's a huge one. School attendance is huge for lots of different reasons. If you know that family is living in poverty, that would be another sign. If that young person is not dressed appropriately for the weather, you know, if they're wearing a mini skirt and a tank top in January, but again, that could also be a sign of poverty. Do they not have a jacket on because they're being trafficked or because their family can't afford a jacket right now? Um, Lots of signs include uh, bruises, cuts, tattoos um, that that young person can't describe when they got them. 
wear or a tattoo that they don't want to talk about the meaning of. That's another huge sign I see. And then um, we talked a little bit about health problems, but chronic headaches and chronic stomach problems or symptoms that look similar to anxiety and panic attacks going to the emergency room all the time, that's a huge red flag for us. How do you... It's a, this is a difficult question, obviously, because one of the main things for any vice or any horrible thing people do is to eliminate the uh, um, the desire for that and to eliminate um, the demand for that. Um, but that's that's highly difficult. Yes. So, how, what do we do? To, to try to get this turned around. I mean, I, I can start and you can uh, wrap up with that, Caitlin. Um, I think the biggest thing is awareness. And like Caitlin said earlier, you have to you have to really understand that this is not something that happens over there. Yeah. This is something that could be happening next door. That could be happening down the street. You know, a very, you know, prominent person that, you know, could be involved. Like there's no one, you know, way, shape or form this happens. So building awareness, knowing some of those signs to look for. Um, if you are seeing some of those things, like making sure to reach out, reach out to that person, um, to that youth and try to point them to places that that can help. One of the things I think that that is difficult for a lot of people, because this is such a sensitive subject, you know, even if they suspect something and they might suspect something of a person they know, and then you're kind of, then you second guess, well, what if I'm wrong? And then this guy's going to be painted with this brush for the rest of his life in this town. How do we get, how do we overcome that? What can we do in those situations? I think it's a lot easier to handle someone that's close to you that you're wrong about being a trafficker than continuously wonder about the safety of a young person. Yeah. And if they get mad at you for asking that question, that's okay. Mm. But take the chance of making sure someone is safe. So best steps, you have suspicions, call law enforcement. Is that is that the starting point for us as people in the community? I would say so. I mean, if you see something out in the community that you just don't feel right about, absolutely call law enforcement. And the worst case scenario is that they check it out and nothing's wrong. And I wanted to add something earlier sure. that sounds like maybe a radical idea to eliminate this problem, but we need to help people get their basic needs met. And some people have a hard time understanding that trafficking is related to affordable housing, staying in school, affordable child care. It's almost impossible in this area. Helping people get nutrition assistance, stay in school, all of those things to get their basic needs met. Mental health support. Oh, my gosh, I could talk about that for a long time. You may not be lowering the demand, but you're going to lower traffickers' access to vulnerable people if you help them get their basic needs met. Make them a little less vulnerable. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, so talk a little bit about safe harbor and what that means. 
Sure. So actually, Minnesota was kind of the leader across the nation for creating this program. So like I said earlier, there's two components of it. One is specifically shelter and housing for youth who have been trafficked, and the other is supportive services, so anything else that they need assistance with in their life. Um, what was your question? So <laughs> what, is, what does Safe Harbor mean? What is Okay, so I mean, Safe Harbor is a, a program that's run by the Minnesota Department of Health and Human Services, but it started with the idea that we shouldn't prosecute minors for prostitution anymore. And that seems like a no-brainer now, but that wasn't a practice across the U.S. for most of the time. And there's still states that prosecute minors for being prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Nevada, they can still arrest 15, 16, 17-year-olds and charge them with prostitution, but not give them any actual services to get out of that situation. So Safe Harbor started with the idea that kids shouldn't be in jail for being prostitutes because you can't give consent as a minor. You shouldn't be making money doing that, or a trafficker shouldn't be making money doing that. But also, how can we support the people who this has happened to give them a safe exit out of that lifestyle and give them as much support as we can. So housing, mental health access, going back to school, getting enrolled in healthcare, all of those normal parts of living that we need to be happy and healthy. Okay. So boots on the ground, um, when you're dealing with someone who comes into the shelter that's been through this what are the steps you're taking what are the what are you doing to help them well if someone comes into the shelter and they have experienced sexual exploitation I think the key is to have that space for them if they want to talk about it they can but we have a view where The victims should be in a situation where they want to talk about those things. We're not going to force them to talk about it because that can do much more damage than good to them. So at our shelter, we're serving kids age 9 through 17. We're focusing on normal things that kids should be doing those ages. Getting back to school, staying in touch with healthy adults in their life. Um, Do they need additional mental health support? Can we do that at the school? Because there's lots of providers that send therapists to school during the day. And then how can we build a team around them for other things that they may need? What are are some of the mental health issues, the most common mental health issues victims face when they're trying to get back to life? I think more commonly we see PTSD. I mean, PTSD is more prevalent in survivors of trafficking than even veterans who have been in combat zones. Um, Absolutely, depression and anxiety, sometimes obsessive compulsive disorder, specifically about their safety, having lights on, what they can see, who's in a room with them. Um, And that can manifest in lots of different ways, but absolutely, PTSD is very common. Okay. Um, and Ebony, I think the, the, you know, the thing that I, that hits me hard every time I hear it, and this 
the second time I've heard it in about a month and a half, is how our area is one of the worst areas for uh, child sex trafficking. Yeah, and if you you think about it, um, you have youth and you have families who are experiencing poverty. Beltrami County is, if not the, one of the top two areas um, for poverty. Like, Mm -hmm. we have a high rate of poverty. And um, it's just, it's tragic because when people don't have, like Caitlin talked about, their basic needs met, and especially when you're talking about young people, and young people tend to think they're invincible, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. And they can, you know, they can get out of things if they don't want to do it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's something that's here. We see it. Other organizations are seeing it as well. And um, other organizations like Support Within Reach are really doing uh, good work to try and help. Okay. How... How under the thumb are victims? I mean, they could be listening to this right now and want to do something. Can they do something? What what can they do? How can they escape this? Well, I think another misconception um, is that all victims are somehow locked in a room or tied up somewhere. And that's not the case. We are interacting with people who have been trafficked, have been victimized on a daily basis. They're in the community. They have jobs oftentimes. They're in school oftentimes. So, yeah, they may absolutely may be listening to this. They may have access to all of their family, social media, a phone. But nothing is their choice when you're being trafficked. When you sleep, when you eat, where you go, who you talk to. So the hardest part is leaving and getting out of that because you're essentially starting with nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about that psychological control. Yeah. You know, and traffickers bring in that fear of, you know, if you leave or if you tell, you know, what's going to happen to your family. You know, you're not going to have a place to go. No one loves you. You're trash. You're no good. You're throwaway. You know, all mm-hmm. those things come into the mind of these victims that make it hard to leave. But again, you know, there are um, people in the city who love to help and support youth who have experienced uh, multiple levels of trauma and in this area as well. So we are just here at Evergreen. To be of help. How many uh, are suffering from Stockholm Syndrome? I don't know if I've necessarily seen Stockholm Syndrome, okay. but a lot of traffickers also present as a boyfriend. So they had a relationship before they were being trafficked, um, and there was there was lots of love and affection there before. Okay, so um, I know that you have a conference coming up um, early November. Yeah, and that that's a topic that that you study at that conference on a regular basis, correct? 
Definitely. Um, on November 1st and 2nd of this year at the Sanford Center, we're going to be hosting the Evergreen Conference, which is our 18th year doing it. And each year we try to make sure we do have a session, either a breakout or a keynote that talks about um, human trafficking. And I get excited when I'm able to go and sit in and, and hear Caitlin talk. Caitlin will be presenting this year. As you guys can see, she's definitely well-informed and, um, you know, passionate about it as well. So she'll be presenting during our conference. And then also um, just this week, um, we kind of talked and decided, you know, how can we continue to push the needle forward in this area and help our community? So we decided to add an additional uh, bonus session, and that will be on November 1st from 6.30 to 7.30. Now, this session is almost a standalone session. It's uh, free of charge, open to parents and teachers and just the general public, anyone who wants to come. And Caitlin will definitely be um, educating and giving hope and talking about services we provide as well. Last time we had this topic, uh, this is a question I ask. I'm going to ask it pretty much the same way I asked it then. What do I, white bread, middle class, leave it to Beaverland, Kev Jackson, what do I do? How can I help? Oh, and, and fairly clueless on this topic, topic Kev <laughs> Jackson as well. Gosh, I think um, there are a few ways you can help. Um, one would be, you know, find organizations that are doing the work. How can you, how can you support them? If it's, you know, volunteering your time, um, if it's, you know, giving of your treasure, whatever it is, find out how you can help. Um, also awareness, you know, making sure that you're aware there are trainings, you know, again, like the Evergreen Conference and other trainings, there's tons of information online that will help you as well um, that you can get for free, you know, yeah. learning about the issues. Um, but being able to say, you know what, I want to be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer that, you know, okay, we have all these problems in the world and they seem so insurmountable, so large and overwhelming. How can little old me possibly help? And I'm a believer that, you know, you find your, your slice of the pie and you, you live there and you help the problems, you know, that are going on. You help to um, make those better. And that's a couple things you can do to start. Um, in my faith tradition, of course, is that we're all made in God's image. But whether you have a faith tradition or not, I think we all think all humans have intrinsic value um, how do you get the people who've been through this to realize that they they have value? I think the key to that is relationship building. It takes a long time for young people in general, but young people who have been highly, highly traumatized to trust someone. And why would they? They have no reason to. They've been hurt by many adults in their life. So it comes from being consistent and building that relationship and just holding that space for them. But I also, the one of the first things I ask people is, have you had anything to eat today? Do you need some water? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Honoring their basic needs and just how would you treat them if they were in your living room? Those same things, making them feel comfortable. 
and them seeing their value may take work, but it it will happen. Okay. I don't know how to underscore enough, you know, those of us who live pretty nice lives in beautiful Bemidji and go through our daily lives not having to deal with this. I don't know if I can underscore enough how much I appreciate, respect, and are amazed at people like you who are willing to get into the mud and do this work. I, I just, all I can say is thank you. Gosh, all I can say, Kev, is thank you because people like you who care about the community, um, who care about the issues that, you know, the community is trying to, to learn about and figure out what's going on, you know, people like you make it easier, just a little easier for us to um, to do what we do. So thank you. You're welcome. Caitlin Oregon, the program director at Evergreen Youth and Family Services. Ebony Warren, the executive director. Tough topic, but an important topic. And I'm so glad you were willing to come in and share with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Kev. Chatabout has been sponsored by Beltrami Electric Cooperative, Sanford Health, First National Bank Bemidji, Higgins Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration, and the Bemidji Chrysler Center, Honda of Bemidji. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we preview the Joint Planning Board meeting with Jamin Carlson. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thank you for being with us today on Chatabout. Chatabout.